Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everybody. As big a regular season series as you can have is coming up this weekend with the Yankees and Dodgers meeting in Los Angeles. So with that in mind, I thought it would be fun to look back on some of the history of this rivalry, not the part of it that dates back to the Brooklyn Dodgers and the amazing Borough rivalries of the 1950s, but the next chapter in that rivalry that took place during my childhood in the late 70s and early 80s. The Yankees and Dodgers met three times in the World Series between 1977 and 1981. The Yankees won back-to-back championships in 77 and 78, Reggie Jackson's three-home-run classic in the clinching game of the 1977 series, and then completing the comeback, the epic comeback of 1978, with another six-game series win the following year. In 1981, the Dodgers got their taste of victory, winning a clinching game six at Yankee Stadium. So to look back on all of this and look ahead a bit at this upcoming series, we check in with the former great Dodgers first baseman Steve Garvey. Garvey had a remarkable 19-year career, a 10-time All-Star, a four-time Gold Glove winner. He played in five World Series. In 55 postseason games, Garvey was a 338 hitter with a 910 OPS. In nine All-Star games played, he was a career 393 hitter, an OPS over 1,200. Garvey, who played in over 1,200 straight games once to set a National League record, is certain to get consideration when the next Hall of Fame Veterans Committee meets in December. For his thoughts on Yankees-Dodgers, past and present, on Reggie Jackson, Thurman Munson, and so much more, here's my conversation with Steve Garvey, and I began by simply asking what comes to mind when he hears the words Yankees-Dodgers. Well, you know, it goes all the way back, ironically, to the age of seven growing up in Tampa, Florida, and uh, my dad was a Greyhound bus driver and uh, came home uh, late March of 1956. I was again seven, and he said, you want to skip school tomorrow? I said, gosh, Dad, really? You never said that before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, well, tomorrow's going to be special. He said, I have a charter to pick up the Brooklyn Dodgers from the Tampa airport, taking the St. Pete to play the Yankees in an exhibition game. He said, I think it might be a, a fun day for you and I. And uh, ironically, my dad and two other gentlemen started the second little league in Tampa, and we were going to start the next week. And uh, family was from New York. Dad was a uh, Dodger fan. Mom was a Yankee fan. So that was always a little little battle in the family. <laughs> and the next day, I got to bat boy for the Yankees. I mean, for the Dodgers, and uh, see Mickey Mantle and uh, and Maris and well, not Maris at that time, but uh, you know those boys of summer that the Yankees had, and then be, be bat boying for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, who had just beaten the Yankees for the first time in uh, the fall of 55. So that was my first baptism uh, with that rivalry. And then, lo and behold, uh, 1977 with the Dodgers, we we end up with a World Series against the Yankees. Uh, we lose, but the next year it's followed up again with uh, another World Series, and then finally the trilogy in 81, and uh, we win that one. So I always said it was very, very partial to the Yankee-Dodger uh, rivalry, and been a part of it was one of the great blessings in my career. 
you obviously grew up with a lot of appreciation for what that rivalry was, as you just said. Do you remember in in 77 when you beat the Phillies and the Yankees beat the Royals and the World Series matchup is decided, it's Yankees-Dodgers. Do you remember a lot of the buildup being the nostalgia from everybody? Do you remember uh, the the hype surrounding it? Oh, absolutely, because it had been... Oh, they were back in the mid-60s, the last time that uh, the two teams had uh, faced each other. So it wasn't that long. It was, what, 10, 11, 12 years. But uh, I think everybody uh, felt that the ultimate World Series was Yankee Dodgers. The two boroughs, the Dodgers leaving East Coast, and uh, along with the Giants, you know, opening up the frontier out West. And then finally the two teams getting back together again and, Nothing better than, you know, back and forth, bi-coastal, two great histories, uh, arguably 10, 11, 12 All-Stars on the field, you know, each time we played, and each game captivating the country. The uh, 77 World Series obviously remembered for Game 6 and what Reggie did. And before we talk about that, you know, the Dodgers actually took the lead. First inning, Mm -hmm. you hit a two-run triple and it gives the Dodgers a lead in Game 6 at Yankee Stadium. Do you remember, I know the sound changed later, but do you remember what the stadium sounded like after you hit that two-run triple? You know, I don't, but I do know we had enough fans there. So there had to be some, uh, <laughs> had to be some yelling and screaming for uh, a comeback for the team. Uh, I do remember I hit a, an outside slider the other way and, uh, and drilled it, and I think I ended up with a, a, uh, a interesting play at third base with Nettles there and me sliding in. I've got a trilogy of pictures um, that uh, were sent to me from, I think, AP or UPI, showing me coming in the slide and then popping up and Nettles and I falling over to <laughs> each other. But, uh, but, you know, that along with the infamous uh, Reggie hip deflection, yep. you know, I think in game three, I mean – all, things like that happened all the time in these Dodgers-Yankee World Series. You know, they come out to L.A., and Steinbrenner supposedly is attacked in an elevator. Yeah. And he, you know how these things go. Yeah. But uh, but I do remember uh, in that infamous Game 6 with Reggie hitting uh, the, the final home run of, of that wonderful night for him. And he's rounding first, and he looks at me, and I had my, my hand in my glove, and I was lightly applauding, you know, and... Uh, after the game, Dick Young, the great writer, New York writer, comes up to me and he says, uh, you weren't clapping out there, were you? And I said, Dick, I said, there are times when you have to recognize greatness, and that was that sweet spot in time, that, that great evening that Reggie experienced, and you have to recognize it. He said, he said that's pretty neat. And, uh, and fast forward to uh, 81, if you ever see the replays, uh, it's the uh, it's the bottom of the ninth inning. There's two out. He's at first base, and uh, he says to me, "Siskar, it's your time." And uh, you know, we're talking. People can't tell what we're saying. And I said, "Thanks, Reg." And I looked up, and it was 11:59 on the scoreboard. And then the next pitch, the ball goes to center field, and uh, Kenny Landro catches it, and, um, and we're world champions. You know, and and you start to think back later. Well, let me tell you what happened. I mean. So the obligatory, you run to the pitcher's mound, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Steve Yeager's catching, Steve Howe's pitching. Yeager gets out there first. He lifts up Steve Howe, and I come flying in, probably the highest ever jump. It was a great picture <laughs> yeah. in Sports Illustrated. 
and uh, and I still have a wonderful about 11 by 13 now. But, and, but what happens next is we all come down. Jaeger spins how, how clocks me with his elbow, knocks my hat <laughs> off, and I'm seeing stars. <laughs> and all I can think of, and you know, it's New York, so the fans are rushing on the field. i got to get my hat. So uh, I see it, and I pick it up, and now I've got to fight my way through the, the fans, and I finally get to the dugout. And I get downstairs to the tunnel, and I'm still seeing stars, and I kind of hold myself up against the rail. And uh, and I think to myself, if I didn't have this Irish strong Irish draw, I would have been out cold on the pitcher's mound at Yankee Stadium at the culmination of my <laughs> highlight of my career. <laughs> and uh, and you know what happens in New York when a car breaks down? You know, you just have the A-frame later on. I'm thinking, <laughs> I was just I would have just had my sanitaries on. You know, by the time that would happen. But uh, you know, things like that happen. In the uh, in the Yankee Dodger uh, series, and uh, and I'm quite sure things will happen this weekend in, in Los Angeles with two teams that are battling it out for the best record in baseball. And uh, I think Vegas, you know, might might have the Yankee Dodger as the odds-on uh, possibility for the World Series. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I want to go back to something you said about Reggie and that conversation you had at first base. I, I think yep. you know it's important for people to remember. You know, seventy-seven and seventy-eight. Reggie is on the Yankees, and you're on the Dodgers. 74, you know, Reggie's one of the first big superstars to actually change teams. He's on the A's team that beat your Dodgers in the first World Series you were in. So this is almost a decade's worth of trying to win a World Series, and Reggie's the guy who stood in your way the whole time. And because players didn't change teams all that often— and there wasn't interleague play. The only interactions you really had were in the World Series those couple of years and All Star yeah. games. You know uh, okay. that that must have. And obviously, you guys are superstar level players at that point. Um, that that's a decade's worth of frustration. And Reggie is acknowledging that right next to you. That must have been incredible. <laughs> well, I told him. I said, you know, I played in ten All Star games. You won all ten. I said, I got you in the All Star games. <laughs> He looked at me and he smiled. He said, where's the ring? I said, yeah, it's smaller, but it's a ring. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I did tell him, I said, you're a pain in the behind. You know, I, I'm not one for colorful language, but uh, he said, well, and, and uh, are you mad at me for it? I said, no, you're a true professional. You go out and you, you play the game. If you played on the Dodgers, you play the same way, like you did with the A's, like you did with the Yan- Yankees, with the Angels and so forth. So, um once in a while, I, I created a series called uh, "The Way We Were," and I'll do a one-on-one with uh, with Pete Rose and Reggie and so forth. And uh, the last one I did was at uh, Sequoia Casino in San Diego uh, a couple years ago at the All Star Game. And I said to him, "I said, you know, uh, this has never really happened, but uh, why don't you just admit now you stuck out your hip that night?" <laughs> and he looked at me and he. He looked at me, smiled. He said, I did it. I said, okay, let's create it. So for the next six, seven minutes, we created, you know, I'm at first waiting for the ball. He sticks out his hip. I don't know where the ball is and so forth. It was really funny. And the fans, you know, everybody that loved it there at the, uh, at the theater. But, um, but you know, and I love this series because people like to know about the game today, but they really like to know about the way we were and how we thought and how we interacted uh, because that, that period from, I would say 70 to 90 uh, was what I call the golden era. It was a different time. Um, 
for the most part, free agency hadn't kicked in until, you know, the late 70s. Mm -hmm. uh, you could keep a team together. Um, mobility wasn't, you know, because of free agency, as readily available for players. So you saw a lot of teams that had, you know, their, their infrastructure, their components stay together for a while. And that was the great thing. Look at the Cincinnati Reds, you know, team in the, in the uh, say from 73 to 83. That was our great rivalry during the season. Reds, Dodgers, again, 10, 12 all-stars on the field. It was Rose, it was Perez, it was Bench, it was Morgan. Uh, for us, it was, say, Russell Lopes, Baker. Um, so at the, I think people that, you know, as we get older, remember those times when, uh, when they knew who was going to be on the field uh, for most of the the games. Yeah, and your infield was a, is the classic example of that pre-free agency really taking hold, where Ron Say is at third base, Bill Russell at short, Davey Lopes at second, you're at first base, and, and I believe played a record number of, of games together as one infield. As you got to 1981, and you're running into the Yankees again in the World Series, you're almost 30 years old, you've been in the league for 10 years, the, the Yankees have been in your way, and yeah. you know what free agency is starting to do to the game. Did you did you believe that your chance to win that ring was was? You know, did you think you you were almost out of chances at that point? Well, you know, we were such a good team they couldn't win that that final series. And seventy seven, I thought we were that was the best team I played on. I thought we, you know, we had a real good chance of winning that year, and it didn't happen. Seventy eight. Uh, we probably got our pitch more than anything else. Um, Catfish Hunter was just fantastic during that series. So you start to think, you know, we're running out of time. Al Campanis did a great job of locking this up until 1982. Uh, I think Davey Lopes uh, was was the one that he, he was a year before as his contract expiring. So we knew we were running out of time for that our group to uh, to win one. And uh, I never thought that I didn't win a, wouldn't win a World Series. I just thought that it was uh, it was so fitting that this this group would win it. And um, all of a sudden, '81 comes, and we have the the strike lockout. Fortunately, we played well enough to win the. They, they divided into halves. Win the first half. Um, we end the season again going up against Houston. Um, we lose the first two of them. We're in three straight in L.A. Uh, then we had to play in Montreal. We split in uh, L.A., and uh, which was always difficult. You lose the home field advantage. Mm. We win in a uh, classic fifth game with Rick Mundy's home run on the top of the ninth. And you're starting to think that maybe destiny is, is on our side then. And then, of course, um, we had been delayed a game. Weather had uh, forced the game five on uh, on a Monday, which meant we were going to miss our, our off. Uh, day between the World Series, beginning of the World Series. So we go right to New York, we open up, we drop the first two. <laughs> mm -hmm. And of course, the New York press, that, ah, here we go again. <laughs> you know, Yankees at the upper hand. So then we come back to LA, and in three classic games, um, you know, just excellent games. The first one, Fernando threw, I think, 151 pitches. Yeah. And uh, we win that one by a run, big score. And then uh, the next game, I think we get a couple of home runs, so we beat Gidry. And um, all of a sudden, we come back to New York 3-2. And, uh, you know, again, we have a, a weather, you know, cancellation. Yeah. And we get to game six, and um, we're facing face Rick Russell. And we start to manufacture runs, and we get a good lead. 
the rest is history. But you know, you you know, the, the scientists are always say the psychologists, ah, destiny. You know, it's a, it's a state of mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think in that case, it was a it was a very good state of mind and uh, a very good confidence builder for us. Steve, in the 77 and 78 series, uh, you played against Thurman Munson in both of those. And we just passed the 40th anniversary of his tragic passing. Uh, and it's marked every year, every August. It, it's, it's so meaningful around Yankee Stadium and to people that, that grew up watching him. What was it like competing against him at that highest level when you played against him in two World Series? He batted 320 in 12 games against you with, tw- with 10 RBIs. And obviously a lot of interaction with him as you came to the plate. Uh, what was it like matching up against him in those two series? Well, he was a throwback, throwback player. You know, we talk nowadays, this kid, you know, Trout could play when we played, you know, mm-hmm. Harper could play when we played. I mean, guys that are grinders and the evolution of this traveling team baseball has spawned some guys that go out and, and play every day. Arenado's like that too. And, and another, another group of guys, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that the most important thing was the grinding of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being able to go out there and just stay in and day out, which is different from now. I, I think that the most important thing uh, you see now is, and I, I call it, you know, they call it you know, sabermetrics. You know? mm-hmm. I call it spreadsheet baseball now, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where a lot of things that happened back in that golden era aren't going to happen now because, you know, I had the consecutive game streak in the National League number four all time. Yep. And now they're not going to let a guy play more than 10 days in a row or eight days or 12 days mm-hmm. because they want to rest them. They can bring in high bid guys. You know, they say it's a long season. Well, you know, try playing seven and a half years like I did yeah. <laughs> every, without missing a game, you know. Um, so, you know, what you're talking about is a whole different era. But, uh, you know, when you talk about guys that can, can go back and, and, and like a Munson and, uh, and grind, and he did all the little things. I mean, he'd, he'd throw from his knees at first base and pick guys out. Right. He'd throw from his knees at second. He would move runners over. Um, but as importantly was his ability to lead. And I think that was the key ingredient uh, for the Yankee teams, you know, during those classic World Series. Steve, when you talk about playing every day, um, I'm interested in your perspective on it a little bit more because there was value in players playing every day. You did it. Pete Rose did it. You guys went out there and played multiple seasons where you literally played every day. And as you said, there are reasons for it now physically where they've gauged that it recharges players to get a day off every once in a while. When you were going through some of those seasons and in the hot summer months and you, you know, you maybe, could you have thought that a day off would have helped you, but it was just your job to play? Can you see the value in what they're doing now or do you just not see that well it becomes a mentality and a culture and a uh, you know perspective and um you know we just didn't do that i mean you know you didn't <laughs> want to get pipped yeah. that old term <laughs> yeah, about yeah. Wally Pip, you uh-huh. know, out and, and 13 years later uh lou gehrig you know ended his consecutive game streak yeah. i mean you went out to play i mean i was an only child growing up in tampa florida and mom used to go to work at eight in the morning and by 8.30, I was pulling kids out of their houses, and we were playing wiffle ball and cork ball and, you know, until Mom came home for dinner, and, you know, and uh, my grandmother lived with us, and I helped take care of her. She was uh, she was handicapped, and uh, I'd do dinner, but that's what she did. 
you know, and I played football too, so I had somewhat of a football mentality and uh, never missed a football game in, in high school or college and uh, a baseball game. And, you know, you just went out there and uh, you played with pain. But once you get up to the level of, of professional Major League Baseball, uh, and, and people always say, what's the one record that you hold dearest? And I said, it's consecutive game streak. Yeah. You know, the most important thing, obviously, is as a team score players to win a world championship. But the consecutive game streak of 1,207 games, seven and a half years, made a statement for my philosophy and love for the game and my respect for the fans and, uh, and the team I played on. Yeah, there are only two teams in the 20th century that won a World Series without a, an active, without a player that was a Hall of Famer. Now, there's a chance that could change. Your 81 Dodgers are one of those teams. The 97 Marlins are the other. Um, but I believe the next Hall of Fame veterans ballot, which comes up this year, is the era that, that you played in. So there's a chance your name gets on this final ballot. You know, when I look at your career again, and, and growing up, I remember what kind of player you were. But when you look back on it, eight years in a row, you were an all-star. And eight years in a row, you won MVP votes, including winning the league winning the award one year in, in 74 do you yeah. you know have you thought you peaked at 42 percent during your 15 years in the writers ballot and these different committees have come up and you've seen some of the guys who have have now uh benefited and gotten in do you think about your chances do you like your chances how, how do you feel about you know potential hall of fame ballot well you know i've always said you, you got to do your homework with my career and uh and if you do, you suddenly, you know, when I do like a Mike Francesa in New York or Mad Dog or wherever it's the country, you know, it comes up and all of a sudden the next 15, 20 minutes we talk about it and people go, you know, I didn't realize this. Gosh, I didn't realize that. Um, and I, I don't have 3,000 hits. I don't have 500 home runs. Um, but I have things that uh, consecutive game streak and six MVPs with, you know, all-star games and NLCSs and, um, you know, and, and you start to, if winning is important, and by the way, defense doesn't seem to factor in as much anymore, uh, but I had four gold gloves. I think I had the second or third highest fielding percentage. Mm -hmm. um, you start to factor these things, but to me, the most important thing is is the winning. The 10 All-Star games won all of those. Uh, won all five NLCSs, uh, the only NLDS I played in. Uh, you have only one out of five World Series, but when you add up the percentage of winning, plus look at regular season percentage of winning, then I think um, I think that you know legitimately I I should be there. And I've never liked to talk about it that way, mm -hmm. but um, with the gates opening, you know, for a variety of of different performers, I think uh, I think there's a need to take a deeper look, you know. And, and the All Star Game, people say, oh, it's an exhibition game, but I took so much pride in that, and arguably have the greatest. You know, all star career in history. Um, I think it's important to, to look at all components of a career and, um, and and measure it that way too. Context is important. The All Star Game wasn't and just an exhibition to you guys, was it? No, no, absolutely not. Yeah, we took pride. I remember the first one. I was the uh, uh, write-in uh, candidate to, with over a million votes. Uh, won the first base job in, in '74, first time in history. You know that uh, there was a write-in candidate start. And before the game, Chuck Feeney, who was the National League president, gave us this uh, uh, roaring pep talk about, you know, we're the National League. I want you guys to go out there and win for our league. We're the best league. I want you to go show it. And that was our attitude. 
You know, I, I don't think the American League had the same, um, you know, same perspective about it. So for each of the ten times I played, I, I missed, a, I think, a couple in there, one uh, due to a, a thumb injury. Um, but uh, we went out there to win. And, uh, and at that time, the National League was dominating. You know, American League's dominated now pretty much over the last decade or so. But uh, you have to take pride in it. It's the only true game of all the uh, all-star games in, in major sports. I agree. The others are uh, are, are absolutely exhibitions. Um yeah. As we get set for this Yankees-Dodgers series, uh, obviously we know these two teams are at the top of the league with the records. How how good are these Dodgers? Well, they're pretty doggone good. You know, they're um, they're a little bit like uh, two years ago when uh, I, I thought they actually had a, a chance of winning 110, 12, 14 games, and they lost, I think it was 14, 15 games in a row in August. Um <laughs> This team's uh, pretty well balanced. Um, uh, Walker Bueller has has become a dominant force. Ryu's had the best uh, year of his career. Kershaw's pitching like Kershaw. Um, you know, Hill's probably going to come back. Uh, Maeda, who's a good pitcher, um, you know, is is the number four guy right now, and you know he kind of gets blamed for a loss here or there. But uh, they got so far in front, they've been able to use maybe six or seven minor league guys and give them experience. But as you know, it, it's it's a tale of two seasons. There's the regular season, the postseason. The postseason's got is like a minefield. Um, you got to. I think it's, experience is important, which the Dodgers have. Uh, I think you got to be healthy. Um, they're in great shape going probably going into the uh, postseason because the ability to to win, what are they, 19, 20 ahead now? You know, what if they're only 10 ahead, but they'll be able to, to rest their players, get their pitching staffs aligned. But then if you drop the first game, you know, in the NLDS, um, all of a sudden, you know, you're neutralized and anything could happen. So um, does this team have the best potential to win this year? I think so, over the last three years. Uh, do they hit a lot of home runs? Yes. The most important thing is they probably manufactured more runs this year than they have in the last couple of years, which which makes a difference when you when you get to the end of October, and the pitching is really good on both sides, and you know you you're not going to get that many three run home runs like you did during the regular season, and you're going to have to get a guy on and get him over and get him in, and that's how you win a three two game and maybe win game seven. So. Um, this weekend will be an interesting matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of anticipation. you got the good guys against the bad guys. <laughs> you know, they're wearing, wearing black and white uniforms this weekend. But um, I think both teams will pick up their energy level. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, they'll be trying to figure out just just what will I be facing if indeed we get to you know October 22nd or 23rd, something like that. The, uh, the players' uh, weekend uniforms on display th- this weekend. You know, the Yankee fans remember... Clay Bellinger as a utility man on some championship teams. His son Cody is a superstar, as someone who's gotten to see him play a lot more than maybe uh, yeah. we do here. Just well, we see the highlights and we see the home run totals jumping up every day. Mm-hmm. What kind of a player is Cody Bellinger? Well, he's a good athlete, number one, and uh, you know he didn't uh, did show a lot of power until his uh, probably third year in the minors, and he's really grown into his body. He's got a man body now. Um, you know, he, he had to change his bat position. It was upright. 
and he used to cock his bat way over and take that big long swing. And you know, he ran into you know thirty, forty home runs his first year, and last year he trailed off. The, op- the opponents started to adjust to him with, with fastballs up and sliders down and in. And then this uh, this year he's flattened his bat, gets his bat to from A to B contact uh, much quicker, uh, more disciplined, and he's having just a great season. But he's a he's a very good uh, outfielder, good arm, uh, excellent first baseman. Um, and now you know now, and I say this too: what you see in spring training, you don't see during the regular season as far as pitching. Mm-hmm. And then what you see in the regular season, you may not see during the postseason. Because I remember, uh, you know, I would win an MVP like 74 in the, uh, uh, in the NLCS and then see the A's pitching me differently and I'd have to adjust a certain amount of time. And the same thing in 77, 78. So that's why, uh, that's why teams have advanced scouts. You know, they're always trying to look for sequences and ways to, uh, to pitch to guys. Um, and you got to remember, this is the one sport where they don't have to let you play with the ball. You know, yeah. uh, they can pitch around you. I know, I think it was 70, 78. I mentioned Catfish Hunter and how well he pitched. I never saw two balls to hit, you know, in any of those mm. games because, you know, I had such a, a very good uh, NLCS. Wow. So um, it's not a cat and mouse game. It, it'll be more sabermetrics. But at the end of the day, uh, the team that manufactures the the, uh, the extra runs, uh, that plays the best defense um, and doesn't walk guys, you know, is, is going to be a world champion. Steve, I know you do have still have some you have some ties to New York, and I know you've done some wonderful sure. work with our friend Ed Randall for his fans for the cure. Yeah. And I know you've been at Yankee Stadium making appearances for Kings Hawaiian every once in a while. Yeah, what uh, what kind of reception do you get when you're in New York? You know, it's, it's, uh, if anybody mentions, you know, the Dodger Yankees, it's usually with a, uh, with a sense of, you know, humor. You know, how we beat you in 77, 78. I, and I usually say, well, I'd like to think that you upset us then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's always a great rapport with the, uh, with the Yankee fans. And they know that I gave them 100% every time I took the field. And I think that's what fans really want. You know, they can cheer for their team. But they want to know that other team is giving them their money's worth too. And, and of course we have those great world series. It's part of all of our history and, and DNA, all of us baseball fans. And, um, anytime I go back, uh, I really enjoy it. You know, and of course you mentioned Ed Randall, uh, what a saint he is. He created fans for the cure, uh, about 10, 11 years ago, which is prostate cancer awareness foundation. I'm so honored to be the chairman. And then, uh, uh, Kings Hawaiian, we created the Kings Hawaiian girl behind home plate on the, uh, on the field level there, and it's the epicenter of uh, great barbecue at the stadium. So um, I look for reasons to go back all the time. Well, next time uh, we'll get to say hi in person, I hope, and uh, I thank you for uh, for sharing some of the memories with us. It's great uh, looking back on them with no. you. Absolutely. Hope we see you at the end of uh, October. <laughs> That's a date. Thank you. <laughs> My thanks to Steve Garvey, one of the true stars in baseball in the 1970s and 80s. And he didn't mention Harold Baines by name, but it's clear that the election of Baines last winter has put other stars of the past who were borderline Hall of Fame candidates like Garvey on notice. They know their cases are good ones, and they hope their day is coming soon, too. Enjoy Yankees-Dodgers this weekend. Enjoy Players Weekend, and don't get too crazy about the uniforms. It's a shame it affects the classic look of a Yankees-Dodgers series, but it is what it is. It's fun for the players, and hopefully 
most of the fans. And perhaps there will be a rematch with the real uniforms coming in October. Please go back and check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thanks for listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.